And that's one thing meditation allows you to do is to adapt to the situation because it really changes your inner flame, your inner temperature. Living in a stressful world doesn't mean you have to give up on happiness. Instead, you can shift your perspective of stress and discover how to live your life in flow. Welcome to Happified. I'm your host, Susie Vine. Join me for inspiration and interviews with folks who are shining their light in the world in the areas of positive mindset, health, and wellness. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome back. I am here today with Adam Weber. So happy to have him joining me, a fellow advocate in living with less stress. Adam Weber is the no BS, common sense speaker, author, product creation specialist, and owner of the highly successful companies Weber Real Estate Advisors and Weber Advisory Group. Adam also helps people learn to reduce their stress through his highly celebrated meditation technique called easy to meditate. Adam has dedicated his life to helping others learn to meditate so they can reduce their stress without medications. Easy to Meditate is proud to include some of the most accomplished individuals and organizations as clients. He is a former corporate warrior who helps others learn to deal with their stress through either in-person or online training. Adam, a New York native, has lived in New York and in the Midwest and now lives in New York north of Manhattan. Adam and his wife Haley have two sons, Andrew and Daniel. When not in his home office, you can find him with his best bud, Churchill, his golden retriever, English setter mix, or working out. Two great ways to relieve stress in addition to meditation. To learn more about Adam, you'll be able to find out through uh, links in the show notes. So please take a look there and learn more about what he is putting together and the book that will be coming out in January. So we will talk about that as well. Adam, thank you so much. I'm so happy to have you with me. Thank you, Susie. Thank you for having me. So I would love to start off with Obviously, in your career, you've experienced a good level of success and then felt called to do even more than that. And I'm interested in learning how your own experience led you to this discovery of the power of meditation. Well, while spending 25 years in the corporate real estate market in New York City, which is a highly stressful environment, I was diagnosed with a progressive form of multiple sclerosis. And on top of the stress that comes with a corporate job or corporate career, and in fact, raising two children, being married and doing all that, um, being diagnosed with a progressive disease that doesn't end well. It doesn't kill you, but it will hurt you. It will debilitate you. And um, as somebody, now I've had it for more, or diagnosed having had it for more than 10 years, the effects that I had only read about start to come to fruition. And you say, yep, I get it now. And now you realize why maybe you're frustrated, you're angry, you're upset, um, why you're walking the way you do, why you trip over air, uh, things like that. And so the reality of it sets in and it's not a fun reality. Uh, It's a very stressful reality because, as you had mentioned, I live north of Manhattan, a very active area with uh, two young children, and I'm married. And having having challenges at a time that most others wouldn't have, 
it, it, it gets very stressful and very hard on you. And simultaneously, having dealt with my wife, having had cancer twice, and my youngest son being born premature, so and having had eight surgeries. So it's not about me, but about them. But it's a very stressful time when you're trying to juggle it all. Yes, exactly. And, and just as you're saying, you know, that, that list of experiences that you have been through is unfortunately so it's not unusual that people, you know, one thing happens and then another. And in your case, too, to live with the experience of, of not having an explanation for these um, moods or physical uh, experiences that you were having to go undiagnosed for a period of time until they finally were able to give you not a great diagnosis, but at least an answer. Correct. Correct. And they only found it while doing a surgery on a back injury I had had from playing sports in the past. And they accidentally found it uh, after years of going undiagnosed. So um, it showed up under the microscope, but never showed up on anything else. Right. And with that diagnosis, you must have been very young, you know, un unexpected, I'm sure, for them to be looking for symptoms of this Disease. Well, given my history as far as health, given my history as far as the way I take care of myself, not drinking, eating well, I eat primarily and have for years a plant-based diet, um, not doing anything crazy with my body, um, they, were, they were, I think, maybe more surprised than I was, also because I'm the son of a doctor and a nurse, so I was raised in a very healthy environment, at least according to them. Um, because, you know, that, that becomes subjective that every time you, um, you burp or cough that they give you a pill. But at the same time, but with my parents, doctors and nurses, there was always somebody who was able to see what was going on and somebody you could always call and say, hey, I feel this or I feel that. Any idea what's going on? And, have, and again, especially being in New York and having had the availability to the medical means that I've had, it was surprising to everybody that it got by anybody. Yes, yes. As as my mother was a nurse, and I remember as a child, like if it wasn't a definable or a diagnosable symptom, you were going to school. <laughs> you were going to school, you were taking out the garbage, you're taking out the dog, yeah. you were doing everything. Yeah. And if there was something to treat, you went through the treatment, you know, you followed the protocol. Um, but those don't always address the root of the situation. So how did you become aware of the impact of stress in yourself or in the bigger picture in the way that it's affecting our society? Well, it changed me, the, my sleeping habits, my eating habits, just generally what would annoy me or not annoy me. And people... Uh, that would also annoy me or not annoy me and the ability to be around certain circumstances. I, after a while I started hiding out um, because things were unexplainable to me and that is stressful itself because I've always been a very uh, active person, a very social person. And then friends and family started saying, well, why isn't he coming to Thanksgiving or why isn't he coming to a party or just a general event? And because at times it had actually become an overload uh, of stress, wondering, was I going to fall down? Was I going to hurt myself? As that had not just happened um, privately, but it happened in public, uh, where one time even somebody called the police thinking that maybe I was drunk, not knowing I didn't even drink. And then you have, you know, you're having to explain yourself to people often. 
and explain yourself to family members and explain yourself to just others in general. Um, why somebody who is younger and was supposed to be very active was unable to do things that others were. And I imagine, you know, as, as much as having community and having that support can relieve stress when you feel like you don't have answers to give or that there are so many questions, you know, that just really, that, that ratchets up the stress. And I can, I can respect, you know, it's easier to hide out and isolate yourself, unfortunately, rather than, um, you know, try to go through the extra effort and the work of bringing everyone up to speed and, you know, then taking their acknowledgement as well. Yeah, I mean and when you socially isolate yourself, people want to know where you've been, how come you haven't been there, and people, family, and friends want to know what's wrong, but you don't have any answers. So that becomes even more stressful for you that you can't give any answers, but most of all, you don't have the answer for yourself, which is something that I'm at peace with now because at least I have an answer. Right, right. And so how do you see... Um, in, for example, in the industry that you're working in, in real estate, how do you see people responding to stress? I tend to feel like people still like to wear it as a badge of honor, how much multitasking they've done or how many hours they've clocked in or eating lunch at the desk. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was always, when I worked in New York City uh, or on the outskirts of the city, that was something that majority felt was, how much did you have on your plate? How much did you have on your desk? And, you know, you could count the days on one hand over the more than 20 years that I was in that industry where I was able to sit, that it wasn't a, a holiday party, that I was able to actually sit down and have a meal um, or sit down and relax. You were always running in one direction or another. So it added to the stress. And as you said, wearing stress is a bad badge of honor. When you work for a high-profile real estate company like I did, Cushman & Wakefield in New York City, that stress was worn by most as a badge of honor, not by just a few. And so you felt you had to keep up with the Joneses and keep up with you know the other people that you worked with. And because of that, the expectations were there. Um, and expectations are there not just from the people you work with, but from your family or friends to bring home a certain amount of money, to drive a certain type of car, to live in a certain size and type of house. So there to be with the Joneses kind of thing, you want to you want to keep up with them. And but more than that, it it becomes very stressful when you don't have answers and you're trying to formulate everything at once. Yes, and I, I think that's such a great point. People are unaware that this picture, this image that they feel driven to create is boxing them into this lifestyle that demands more than they can healthfully give in order to sustain that. We get caught up in yeah. the cycle of our own making. Yeah, no, I, I have friends and, and, and family who work in that world, and they are, it's expected of them to be in the mix constantly, you know, taking days off, not taking days off, I should say, was a badge of honor, not, you know, cutting your vacation short or saying, well, I know it's New Year's Day, but I'm going to work for a few hours uh, before I watch the game or working weekends, working nights, traveling, you know, did you need to get on a plane to go to a conference? 
Did you need to get on a, co a call with a, a confrontational client that you knew would not treat you well? Um, or did you at times run into a, a boss or supervisor that wouldn't be as understanding as to what you're going through? Or even if they understood, they just didn't care because it was your problem to deal with. And it's something that a lot of corporate warriors and small business owners and people who are employees or you know, that is something that we as a people, human beings, we face every day. Even those of us, I still face it and I work for myself. Yes. And I was able to take an early peek at Meditation Not Medicine, the book that you have coming out soon. And I think it's so important. It's going to be such a valuable read to so many people to open their eyes because the numbers that you've included in this book are things that people need to be aware of. We tend to pull a cover over the effects of stress in the workplace and at the human level. And some of the numbers that you quote, I think, it is an impact of perhaps 180 billion on companies or the personal effects of stress on our workforce. And there's people, there's faces behind numbers like that. Every dollar that you read about, um, I believe those numbers are even bigger now. Um, and I think given the current conditions now that we're, I don't want to say coming out of, but we're kind of finding our way through COVID-19, um, and people, and again, I live in New York, where people are not able to go back to work. People have been laid off or let go permanently. Um, the stress is there. So I, I originally wrote the book with the intention of it being something to serve, to give back after the decades I've spent doing what I do. And it turned out to be, as uh, my editor said, this is more of an, an owner's manual a guide to help you deal with the practicality of your stress. And in fact, I went back after I, I was ready to turn it into the editor and was just doing proofreading uh, when COVID hit. And I was buying a new car on a Wednesday and locked down on a Sunday. So that Monday, I actually, because work had quieted down substantially, went back to uh, rewriting sections of the book to address the current times because, frankly, the financial crisis was going to be a blip on the radar compared to COVID-19. And as we're finding now or later on in 2020, that it, it, it may just be that, a blip. Yeah, so I'm so I'm so happy that you have this. I love that owner's manual available and ready to share with people. So I'd love to hear about what brought meditation to your awareness, because I love that you got the no BS approach and that you make it very clear. You know, we'll talk about the elephant in the room. A lot of people think meditation is woo-woo and they don't have time for it. They're not going to buy into the concept, the history, the you have to do this. And like you say, hold your hands just so. And none of that is necessary. You just need to cut through the trappings, the noise, the marketing about it. How did you discover the power of meditation? Well, I discovered the power of meditation because once I was diagnosed with a progressive form of multiple sclerosis, I knew I needed a better way to deal with my stress. I needed it before that, but it really got brought to my attention. And um, so I, I talked to some doctors did, you know, your typical internet search, read some books, 
and talked to people, actually went out and talked to people and did my research. And then on top of it, I went out and signed up for some classes. And at the time, you could go to those classes or, you know, and, and a couple online courses as well to help me. And what I found in a lot of cases was there was, a, like you said, a lot of woo-woo behind it. And uh, in my talks to corporate people and some others, they did not feel that that woo-woo approach or that, you know, was something that was going to work for them. And then again, sometimes when we're not familiar with something, we're not, it's not easy to adapt because meditation has its roots in the Far East and in, you know, Tibetan culture and Taoism and not in the New York City real estate world. Um, so, you know, you want to find out what's going to work for people and you need to ask them what's going to work. And it was asking the questions and talking to people that allowed me to come up with easy to meditate. And it's named easy to meditate for a reason. Uh, so the people know it's easy. Again, it's, there's not a woo woo approach. There's nothing wacky about it or special from the standpoint of you need to have a particular type of cushion or burn incense or, um, in fact, that was something my editor of the book brought. He says, well, there's no discussion of, of, of cushions or incense. And I said, it's in, a, in an email back to him, I said, that's because with this type, you don't need it. All you need to do is take a seat, whether it be uh, in your office chair, on your couch, anywhere, uh, whether you're even if you're at Central Park, out on lunch to do. Um, and I wanted to take that out of it and make it less complicated for people and easier for them to adapt it, the habit. Exactly. Establishing the habit. And, and you really point out the essential, like the, it's, it's so essential to create a habit, to set reminders. I love that, you know, encur encouraging that habit, have a reminder set, take it off of your mental to-do list, the responsibility to remember every day and, and get into a routine. You know, you point out it takes 66 days to instill a habit. So take that off of your, you know, bandwidth yeah, <laughs> and no, set yourself uh, up for success. <laughs> uh, a good or great meditation habit does need not need to be on your to-do list. And it's the kind of thing that I do first time in the morning um, when I first meditate is while the coffee is being made. I'll get up, I'll drink some water, you start the coffee and you go sit down and meditate. And then when I'm done, I can then have my coffee and start my day. But I want to address it sooner than later and go into the day with an even keel approach versus stressed out saying, I've got 20 things to do today. I've got to drive the kids here. got to drive the kids there. But just center myself and ground myself um, early in the day. And I also personally repeat it for a shorter period of time later in the afternoon. But that, again, a meditation practice that you create should be something that you create that fits your schedule, your travel and place needs. And you can do it your way. It's easy to meditate, not hard to meditate. It's just a matter of making the choice to meditate and to address your stress versus, again, growing up the son of a doctor and a nurse, the one-size-fits-all approach of taking a pill, which is an older approach that is not as comfortable for most people. It wasn't for me. It's not for a lot of others. 
Um, I, I prefer to uh, use a more holistic type approach, like for nutrition, for example, I'm, as I mentioned to you previously, I'm a plant-based eater. No, I, yes, I still eat meat. Don't get me wrong, but it's maybe once a month or twice a month. I'm primarily plant-based for a reason. Um, but it also, it's cleaner way of doing things. And that's why meditation, drinking water and starting the day with meditation is a great way to start your day. Yes, terrific. And what do you have to say when people have this concept, you have to meditate for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, they say, I just don't have time to meditate. So how do you answer that? You don't. Just in a few minutes a day, you can get started. It doesn't take very long. There's nothing really involved other than taking a seat and meditating and not worrying about what's going on outside, what's going on in the other room. That's another reason I personally like to get up earlier and others I speak to, they customize their habit, their meditation habit around everything from when the kids get up, you got to go to work or even when the dog needs to go out. I mean, when I'm meditating, there are times my dog is sitting there right next to me on the couch, um, or a cat is sitting next to me on the couch, but they are not getting in the way from the standpoint of barking or you know, trying to get me to get the leash to take them outside, although we let them out in the backyard, uh, or anything like that. So it's just a matter of creating something that's workable for you. Yes, and I love that you point that out in the book. You, you can start out with a minute or two a day and then build up to five and then 10, you know, and let that habit build, build that muscle of the discipline of committing to your meditation practice. Yeah, I'm glad you said it that way when you said building your muscle because there's somebody that still goes to the gym and even when I don't, I'm usually doing yoga from home or something else. Um, it's a matter of just getting started. And if it's only, for example, I did yoga for 20 minutes this morning. Now, there's a good chance I will likely do it more later just because I sit in a chair a lot during the day. Um, but it's a matter of customizing it around your schedule. You know, you can start with five. You can start with 10. You can increase it, decrease it. You can do it. I I've meditated on planes before. Um, you, you can really meditate anywhere you can find a place where you can go undisturbed. Exactly. And that's the beauty of taking those trappings away from it. You don't have to, although you suggest in the book, and I do think it's helpful to have a place where you cultivate that attitude of calm, a little meditation space in your home, maybe a seat that you tend to use, but you don't, you can do it anywhere. And even better, right? It, it's, it serves you to be able to use that tool anytime you need it. Correct. It's portable. Uh, it's something you can take with you. Um, whether you're on vacation, I had the, the benefit of being able to uh, meditate out in the Hamptons or that sort of thing or on the Jersey Shore because of my proximity. But I've also meditated on, uh, I, I meditated on a plane on my way to a business trip in San Antonio uh, last year. So uh, both on the way down and on the way back. So it is, and, and for people who are afraid, and I'm not one, but if there are people who are afraid of flying, if you can relax and ease the stress, traveling will be a lot easier. Now, I definitely wouldn't suggest meditating while you're driving your car. In fact, I would say don't do it. But um, if you're on a plane, likely you're not the driver or the pilot. So yes, meditate. Yes, more the better. And um, in the book, you also mention you encourage people to release their quest for perfection. And, and I love that you encourage people to keep a beginner's mind. I feel like those two things kind of 
go together. So how does that help people to put themselves in that mindset? Yeah, I think one thing as a society we, we, we're eager to do, especially in the time we're in with the tools we have to be more perfect than imperfect. Uh, the thing about that is, is that there's no need to. It's a matter of slowing down. It's a matter of realizing who we are as people and as individuals and that not everything is based around being perfect, just based around being us and based around being quiet and calm and not getting excited at everything, not being, not turning on the television and letting every piece of news or every world going function get us stirred up or, you know, going to a family member's house or having people over for Thanksgiving or for a winter holiday such as Christmas or Hanukkah um, or any other holiday where people just want to be able to slow down and relax. I've done that. I've gotten up from the table or before sitting down to eat, going and meditated for a few minutes in another room, knowing I could bring that with me to the table and everyone can do that themselves. Exactly. And how many situations, that's a great illustration, how many situations can benefit from at least one person getting centered and bringing down their participation if the stress starts ratcheting up, you know, we have to recognize we don't have to buy into it. We can be the one to start turning that energy around and bringing it back down. You know, as a New Yorker, and I'm sure there are others too, one thing that there was always in my house growing up and with two younger children now, uh, nine and seven, there sometimes is, is drama. And what you can do is step away from the drama. And sometimes my wife will say, well, aren't you going to say anything or aren't you going to react? Or, and I say, no, I'm not. And, and my wife knows because we've been married almost 20 years. And she says to me, Adam, I, I remember when everything would get you worked up. Um, <laughs> still, football, certain football games get me worked up, but I don't let everything that goes on with the kids. It's almost as if people turn to me looking for my reaction. I'm like, no reaction. Somebody else handle it. Somebody else deal with it. Or just don't get worked up. It's not a big deal. And that's one thing that a practice of meditation brings to you because it, it, it really you don't fan your inner flames so that, you know, everything gets worse than it really is. Yes, exactly. And you mentioned earlier in our conversation about, um, you know, your diagnosis. And I, I think you indicated genetically you might have been predisposed to have multiple sclerosis. And it's so important now as we recognize our epigenetics and the way that we can set the stage, you know, for how things play out. Um, and you talk in the book, too, about how stress is the silent killer. Um, so how does that, how can we change our health outcomes by recognizing the impact of stress? How is it affecting people? What kind of diseases do we well, see? Everything from things like autoimmune diseases, such as multiple sclerosis or Crohn's disease, uh, things like that. And as I mentioned earlier, my wife is a two-time cancer survivor. My younger son has had eight surgeries and he's only seven years old. And all those surgeries were by the time he was six years old. So, um, you know, preparing for things and being ready to adapt. And that's one thing meditation allows you to do is to adapt to the situation because 
it really changes your inner flame, your inner temperature. And as a New Yorker, I'm also predisposed to maybe yell at somebody driving a certain way or didn't look both ways before they crossed. I mean, New Yorkers are, or some New Yorkers are famous for the words that come out of our mouth. And, and I think at times people I'm in a car with or who I'm with look at me saying, you know, few years ago, you might have said this, you might have said that. And I said, yeah, I just don't care. I think that's one thing that goes is you're able to let things go. You're able to walk away from the stress, walk away from the drama. It, it, it's provided me with some inner peace that I never thought I would have. Growing up in a hard charged environment in New York City, I worked in the corporate world, was the son of a successful doctor in New York City, um, who was very well known and very well, it was in the press and all sorts of over. And the expectations to be like dad, to be like my grandfather, who was very similar to my father and a doctor also. Um, and also my family, everybody, including my wife, they're all Ivy League graduates. So there are expectations of excellence in everything they do. And no matter who you are, you cannot bring excellence to everything. You cannot keep the stress 100% at bay. But you can do to work on you. What you can do is work on things to help yourself. And when you help yourself, you help others. So true. So true. Yeah. You really when when people see that you cultivate the power over your response when you're responding instead of reacting, um, then you know that's really. It, it's empowering to yourself, but it's also a really powerful demonstration to other people that they too can step out of that reactive mode and cultivate more peace and balance and perspective. Exactly. And as a Jack Canfield trainer, success principles trainer, um, I, and it's in the book is E plus R equals O. An event happens. It's about how you respond, not react to get the outcome that you want to get. And, for too many years, myself and others that I know, and I'm sure a lot of people can identify with this, they reacted as opposed to choosing to respond a certain way. And when you do it that way, yes, it can work out, but it doesn't work out as well as choosing the way to respond. Yes, and I love to point out to people too, awareness is part of it, but you really have to cultivate these practices outside of the moment of stress. Just because you recognize we need to respond instead of react doesn't mean in that conversation you're gonna call that back up unless you've been laying the foundation. Practicing meditation, practicing awareness, and looking at how you respond to things. That's, again, you have to build that muscle so that when you really need to call, it, it's there, it's front of mind, it comes back to you. You don't have to be reaching wildly for a tool that you're not comfortable with. Exactly. Exactly. Is there anything else that we didn't get to cover yet that you would share with folks in terms of balancing stress or the power of meditation? No, I would just tell people who are maybe put off by it or have a preconception about meditation or seeing photos of those maybe wearing robes or sitting somewhere in amongst in the forest meditating or on a particular type of cushion or bench that your meditation habit is customizable to you and to the way you live and where you live and how you do things and whether you have children, pets, or none of the above, whether you're married or you're not, it doesn't matter. Um, it's a matter of, you know, creating a practice, a meditation practice that works for you. Because at the end of the day, as long as it works for you, 
it will benefit those in your life, whether it be your work life, your personal life, or anything else. Yep, that trickle-down effect is powerful. Indeed, indeed. So we can, we can improve our corner of the world even when things are going crazy around us. It, uh, it is worth the effort to raise our vibration and bring some balance in. Certainly. I agree 100%. Tremendous. Thank you so much, Adam. I really appreciate our conversation today. This has been so helpful and I really hope it resonates with people out there who have been looking past the solution or just thinking that it doesn't fit their situation. So I hope that this really turns some light on it. I hope so. It's been a pleasure. So uh, definitely check out Adam's website. The link is in the show notes. Um, Easy to meditate. You can join a group program. You can find out more through the website and stay tuned as this book comes out. Meditation, not medicine. This is the word that we need to be sharing. So thank you for bringing your voice. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in today. Check out the show notes for any links we mentioned. To learn more about living life with less stress and more flow, visit happifiedlife.com. And if you found value in today's episode, make sure you subscribe to catch the next one and leave a review to help fellow pod surfers find Happified. Until next time, keep on shining. <laughs>